two decades. The award-winning Your Financial Editor Program on 930 WFMD. News from the worlds of business and finance with your financial editor, Chris Murray. Welcome to another edition of the Your Financial Editor Program right here on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And, of course, uh, as a podcast on iTunes. Also, you can download the free WFMD app at the App Store, the Android Store, and uh, listen to uh, the program and all of the other fine programming on uh, AM 930 WFMD. Uh, you have it right there, literally, uh, at the tip of your fingers with your uh, smart device. Uh, I am Chris Murray. I'm so glad to have you along with us uh, today. Really a good program laid out um, some interesting top stories of this week, some economic news of note as well. And joining me in just a little bit, Mr. Mark Morano. Um, he's the former communications director for the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee. He was also a senior aide uh, and clim- climate researcher for Senator James Inhofe from uh, Oklahoma. And uh, these days he's the uh, executive editor and chief correspondent for Climate Depot dot com and he's been on the program before he just released a brand new book uh the book uh is actually titled green fraud why the green deal green new deal is even worse than you think and we're going to be talking about what's being said out uh in the uh mainstream media what politicians are saying and what is actually truth so we're going to get to the bottom uh, of a lot of that. So I uh, look forward to talking to uh, Mark in just a little bit. Stay tuned for that. Well, at the beginning of the week, actually it was at the end of uh, last week on Friday, uh, we heard about some really strange things going on um, in the financial markets as far as investments. And there was, uh, uh, it's called a home office, but just think of it as a, a, a hedge fund or an investment firm, uh, Archigos Capital. They were defaulting on, uh, some of their, uh, margin calls, some of their positions that they had. And it really, really started wreaking havoc, um, on the financial markets. There was a lot of, uh, gossip, if you will, last weekend as far as who was going to be impacted. And then we actually heard on Monday that Numora and Credit Suisse uh, were facing billions of dollars in losses after uh, that uh, Archegos Capital uh, did, in fact, default. And um, this is a, a fund that was run by a former uh, Tiger Asia manager, Bill Huang, and uh, he had basically triggered that fire sale of stocks on Friday. And the warnings on big losses triggered a sell-off uh, in the banking sector, really around the globe. Now, Numora is Japan's largest investment bank. They were talking on Monday that they could face as much as $2 billion in losses. And then, of course, the big uh, uh, Swiss bank, Credit Suisse, uh, also said that uh, there could be some problems and, you know, they were going to um, do a deep dive and see exactly what their exposure was. So, you know, it was one of those things that uh, fortunately not a whole lot of pain was realized. I know Deutsche Bank and some others um, sidestepped losses because they saw what was going on 
and uh, were able to get out of their positions that were related to uh, Archegos Capital. So um, something that we might talk about a little more in the weeks and months to come because we're just starting, obviously, a new quarter. It's a new earnings season. And if, in fact, these banks were impacted at the very end of the quarter, um, you know, and, and on, of course, going into uh, Q2, um, what type of impact is that going to have on their bottom line? So we'll be watching that. Some also uh, major moves this week when it comes to cryptocurrencies. Uh, Visa said on Monday that it will allow the use of the cryptocurrency known as USD coin to settle transactions on their payment network. That's the latest sign of or one of the latest signs of growing acceptance of digital currencies by the mainstream financial industry. Uh, the company said that it had launched the pilot program with payment and crypto platform uh, crypto.com and plans to offer the option to more partners uh, later this year. Bitcoin, of course, the most popular crypto coin, uh, jumped to a one-week high on the news when uh, that info came out. Uh, Visa confirmed the news, so, you know, it was kind of reported on and then verified uh, by Visa in a statement. And Visa uh, is just following um, Bank of New York, MasterCard, uh, and other big names that are uh, creating investments and payment uh, options for uh, these cryptocurrencies. Of course, Tesla uh, is a major proponent of cryptocurrencies. Uh, they had said, we had talked about this uh, not too long ago, that customers can buy their electric vehicles with Bitcoin, hoping to encourage more day-to-day -day use of the digital currency. Also, it was revealed in their quarterly uh, earnings uh, information when it was reported for Q4 that they had taken um, a substantial, I think it was $1.5 billion uh, purchase of Bitcoin. And then uh, really on the heels of um, when I was just talking about um, Visa, PayPal also came out, I think it was Tuesday, just a day later, saying that they're allowing um, U.S. Cost, uh, consumers to use their cryptocurrency holdings uh, to pay at millions of their online merchants around the entire globe. So this is something that's really getting a lot of traction. You see um, some people think it's a um, just a train wreck waiting to happen. Other people are strongly convinced that this is here to stay. Um, and it's actually going to um, just improve and evolve in a, a positive way going forward. So we'll continue to watch it closely and see how it does, in fact, kind of play out, if you will. Um, you know, there was really a good uh, survey I saw this week. Um, and believe it or not, it was from Reuters, which is very biased, but their uh, poll showed that 63% of Americans want U.S. agencies, again, the government that we fund uh, with our tax dollars, to buy American-made products, even if they cost more. 
So I thought that was very, very encouraging. And 62% think the government should strictly buy U.S.-made vaccines. So, um, again, Reuters is uh, very misleading, uh, often poorly written, very, very biased. Uh, so I was uh, happy to see that they had this poll that showed, again, 63% of them want U.S. agencies to buy American-made products, use our tax dollars to support American business. Makes sense, right? I, I think um, I would think nine and a half out of ten people, however we would do that, um, would agree with that. If not ten out of ten, I, will, I know we couldn't get ten out of ten, depending on where you were and who you were asking, but I, I, I'm surprised that um, that many people, depending on how they were asking the question, um, were so pro-America as far as supporting, again, those businesses and workers here in the United States. Um, we know that there's another just ticking time bomb with this. Um, I'm not even going to call it. It's not an infrastructure bill. That's uh, that's false. Um, it's just another huge spending bill of our money, trillions of dollars of our money, our kids' money, our grandkids' money. Um, and what that's going to do to the country short, medium, and long-term. I did hear this week from Mark Mobius, uh, Mobius Capital Partners. Uh, Mr. Mobius has been around forever. I was watching an interview that he gave. Uh, you may have heard his name. He really was extremely successful at Franklin Templeton before he started Mobi uh, Mobius Capital Partners. But he was saying this week that Biden's spending plan will cause U.S. capital to travel overseas and be spent in other countries. So he said when you have big spending in the U.S., it means you have big imports into the U.S. because the U.S. depends on imports more um, from all over the world, particularly Asia. So this is kind of just the opposite of what we were just talking about with that poll. This is not what people want. The majority of the people here in the United States, Americans. So he was saying that imports from emerging countries are going to grow pretty rapidly in the face of this big spending program. And there unfortunately will probably be more spending to come. Um, the other interesting point he was uh, uh, stating is that you're going to see many of the people in America who are looking at the market, they look at capital gains and are going to think, well, maybe I should put some money overseas. They're, again, referencing some of these um, tax changes that are being uh, talked about and proposed and just uh, how damaging it is going to be to the financial markets potentially and also to investors uh, that have exposure there. So... Um, Again, a very reputable, level-headed, uh, seasoned professional, and I, I thought his comments were worth uh, sharing with you. We also heard this week that the Biden administration on Tuesday announced a set of measures responding to rising anti-Asian violence, including deploying $49.5 million from the virus relief funds, for community programs uh, that help victims. What does that even mean? You know, these 
number one, why are you diverting $49.5 million that's supposed to, again, even though we know it doesn't, have um, the association mainly, if not only, with the virus for community programs because of these victims uh, who have been uh, attacked. I don't know if you saw the attack up in um, New York City. You know, there's a story for you. The guy kills his mother. Um, he's sentenced uh, up for parole. Of course, the first couple times he was up for parole, um, he didn't get it because uh, that was during the Giuliani and Bloomberg um, mayorships. But, of course, the new people came in. They appoint new folks at the parole board. And here you've got this guy walking down the street, uh, 60-some-year-old Asian lady. Again, it doesn't matter if she's white, Asian, black, Hispanic, but we'll just stick with the story, their their narrative. Um, And he proceeds to knock her to the ground, kick her in the head, and tell her she doesn't belong here. I mean, how does a guy like that get out of prison? I mean, first of all, he killed his mother. So it goes to show how twisted um, all of this race baiting is uh, or has become. It's not is becoming. It has become. So, um, you know, but I, again, I was tying it financially because forty nine and a half million dollars supposedly from the virus is going to what does the community program mean? Well, it's like saying a community organizer. I mean. You could fill that blank in however you'd like. And then, of course, we were told that uh, Biden wrote on his Twitter um, account, we can't be silent in the face of rising violence against Asian Americans. Number one, I would wager if I were a betting man, uh, $5,000 that Biden probably doesn't even know how to tweet. So, you know, whoever is writing those kind of things along with everything else, his note cards and his uh, teleprompter. Um, you, you know, it, it, it's just not believable. Um, also, you know, the, the false narrative here, the measure of this came after uh, not only the uh, terrible event up in New York where the lady happened to be Asian, but also remember a few weeks ago, the Atlanta, uh, the I think he was 21 years old, uh, he left eight people dead, and they're saying that this is an Asian hate crime. Well, look, six of them were Asian-American women, two of them were white, and one was a Hispanic, apparently. Um, this didn't have anything to do with uh, people's race. Um, this was a very sick, the sick, excuse me, sexual pervert who frequented these massage parlors where he went on these shooting sprees. I mean, apparently, well, from what I read when I was trying to figure out about what happened here uh, a couple weeks ago, he was kicked out of his house by his parents because of his uh, pornography addiction. He was addicted to porn. He was just a sick, twisted person that was probably going to these massage parlors, and there was more involved in massage. And for whatever reason, he snapped. And just, you know, whoever was in the massage parlor, that's who was being shot. So, again, just part of the false narrative, this race baiting 
that we're seeing, um, and people are believing it. I mean, they're just being spoon-fed like a little baby in a high chair. It's uh, it's amazing that people won't do their own research and look into these important matters in more detail. Um, and then also to, to follow up on this as far as dividing people, you had uh, Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, uh, say that she believes that the Hispanic workers can help lead the United States out of crisis. Once again, you know, she's naming race. Uh, of course, this was in prepared remarks to a U.S. Hispanic Chamber of Commerce event. Um, she said that Biden's $1.9 trillion stimulus, it's not stimulus, uh, plan will help uh, Latino-owned businesses through direct payments, housing aid, and a $12 billion infusion into community development financial institutions. Again, not really sure how that's all going to play out um, and what they're really planning on doing, honestly, now with our money. You know, the opportunity zones that um, Dr. Ben Carson and the former Treasury Secretary Mnuchin were overseeing, that was real. I mean, that that was real. You, you looked at these areas across the country that needed the most help because they had, um, basically, they had cannibalized themselves. They just killed the, the cities in certain areas. So it was like, look, we're going to entice people, private market uh, share, you know, get folks out in the private sector to come in here, invest. If they do it, we're going to give them some tax breaks over time. And we're going to try to make the areas better like they used to be and improve property values, improve the tax base, improve the standard of living. Um, and they were working so well. And now you just have, again, they're just going to go to these people and lead them along, not with a carrot, but with, a, you know, a hundred dollar bill or whatever it might be. So for people that say that um, they want all people to be seen as they are and uh, they, you know, they, they're sure to point out color and they're sure to point out if it's a man or a woman, et cetera. It's really, really a shame. It's so divisive. Um, and by the way, Janet Yellen has preached for income equality. Again, whatever that means, it's, it's impossible. Even, you know, even though she was making millions, literally millions of dollars giving speeches on Wall Street and elsewhere when she was out of politics for a whopping four years. And now that she's back in it, she's changing her tune. So I'm sure that Janet Yellen is going to donate all of those millions of dollars to you name it, men, women, whites, blacks, Hispanics, however she's going to divvy that up. And I just want to thank her, um, you know, for doing that in advance because I'm sure she's very, very sincere. Um, in jest, stay tuned. Like a flower.
welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com uh, as a podcast on iTunes. And, of course, you can download the free WFMD app at the App Store, the Android Store, and uh, check the program out there uh, along with all the other program good programming uh, here on WFMD. Forgot to mention before the last break uh, the complimentary um, download for you is titled The Value of an Objective Opinion, Why Objective Financial Advice is Important, Especially After a Year Like We've Had uh, This Past um, uh, 12, 13 Months. Go to murrayfinancialgroup.com and uh, check. It's right on the homepage. You just uh, click the button and you get an instant uh, uh, download. So it goes right to your email box and uh, enjoy it. It's a it's a pretty good read and gives you a lot to think about. As far as the economic data this week, um, as is normal, uh, you know, it was mixed, some good and some bad. We saw that uh, a measure of manufacturing activity improved. That was from the uh, ISM, the Institute for Supply Management. They said their index um, jumped to 67, excuse me, 64 point seven uh in march so anything above 50 ex, uh, indicates expansion in manufacturing manufacturing in our country these days is accounts for just almost uh, 12 percent of the u.s economy so that report was uh, better than what was expected and um the other thing i was looking in that report though uh, very closely looking at was um the the survey's measure of prices paid by manufacturers last month hovered near its highest since June of 2008. This is where we start worrying about some inflation issues. And um, are the companies uh, going to be able to absorb that or is it going to be passed on to you and I, the uh, consumers? Talking about consumers, the U.S. consumer confidence uh, number uh was higher in March, actually the highest level we've seen since the uh, virus made its way here. Uh, unfortunately, it's going to go up for the wrong reason. It's going to be driven by that government spending, not by organic growth. But um, it is what it is, right? So, like I said, uh, you've got taxpayers, that massive uh $1.9 trillion package uh, has led economists to predict the economy will do very well this year. But again, this is fake. This is fake stimulus. It's fake growth. It's not organic. Um, I had mentioned after the financial crisis and the housing crisis, um, when the new administration came in back in 2009, that you could have um, a kindergartner basically make things better because everything was in such bad shape. Well, the pandemic or, you know, the virus, whatever, um, really with us coming out of this now, same thing, kindergarten through, you know, maybe you'd have to go to a third grader. Otherwise, it'd be very, very easy for all the numbers to get a whole lot better because they were uh, things were doing so poorly. So um, the bad part, like I said, is that this isn't organic. This is all uh, increases for the wrong reasons, and we're going to pay the price for that down the road um, come heck or high water. Speaking of prices, home price growth accelerated to a 15-year high in January as a supply of uh, homes for sale dropped to a brand-new low. So, again, we saw the S&P Case-Shiller Home Price Index, which uh, measures 
Average home prices in major metropolitan areas across the country, they were up 11.2% in the year that ended January. So house buying demand remains robust because of those low interest rates. And also a lot of people want to get out of um, a, a lot of dangerous areas that, uh, that you know, they lived through last year with the riots and the burning and the murders and uh, destruction of property, uh, both business and personal. So they're like, okay, we're going to get out of here. We're going to go uh, move somewhere else. So that's what we're seeing, and that's obviously driving prices up. Pending home sales were down 10.6% in February. That's the second straight month according to the National Association of Realtors. The reason for that, again, it's inventory. You've got inventory um, at a record low since they started uh, collecting data back in 1982. There's only two months of, uh, based on the current sales uh, pace, there's only two months of inventory to exhaust the supply. You know, in a healthy market, you want five or six months. Now, of course, after the housing bust, we had 10, 11, 12 months, whatever it was. I mean, that was extremely unhealthy. This is, um, unless you're the seller, this is, you know, hard on everybody else that's trying to uh, to find property and, and purchase it. Also this week, we had a lot of news on uh, jobs. We got the ADP report, that national report. Um, that was a little less than what was anticipated. We got 517,000 private sector jobs. Uh, economists were looking for uh, more than that, 550,000. So, again, that was a little light. Initial jobless claims came in worse than what was expected, 719,000 first-time uh, claims were made last week, according to the Labor Department. And then yesterday we got the big report, the big jobs report. Um, that was better than expected when you look at the uh, headline numbers. 916,000 jobs added in the uh, the month of March, and um, according to the Labor Department. And then um, the unemployment rate ticked down to 6%. So that's the lowest level we've seen since the virus uh started here in the United States. Now, the problem is, oh, and uh, here's a good part of that. The leisure and hospitality sector added 280,000 of those jobs last month with food services and drinking places accounting for 176,000 or about two-thirds of the gains. What that means is more and more uh, states are opening back up for business and saying, hey, get out there, enjoy yourself, uh, spend money, and um, obviously do those things that we learned in kindergarten, wash your hands, cover your sneeze, don't touch your face, you know, that kind of thing. So um, so that was, I thought, the good part. The, the, the leisure and hospitality sector were able to get back in the game and um and, and really contribute the problem that we still face there are 8.4 million fewer jobs right now than what we had before the virus came a lot of that is the over way over incentive of for for people not to work 
yeah, stay home, make more money if you stay home or, you know, go to the beach and, and sit on the beach than, it's, than if you were at work. How stupid is that to try to make people not work and pay them more for it? I mean, that's just so un-American, it's not even funny. You can't blame people. I mean, I know personally there are people that, uh, that you know, won't, like they're not, they're donating their stimulus checks if they get them because they feel like it's dirty money, even though it's their money, it's taxpayer money. But, you know, they have the pride that they don't want anything to do with it. So um, just unbelievable that we still have 8.4 million fewer jobs than we did uh, before the virus. And we've got to do something about that sooner rather than later. Later, I hope, a whole lot sooner. So, um, yeah, so we'll continue to watch that for you. Again, go to uh, murrayfinancialgroup.com, the uh, complimentary um, download for you is the value of an objective opinion. And when we come back, man, we're talking about climate change. And it's going to be a lot different than probably what you're used to hearing. So stay tuned. It's your financial editor with Chris Murray on 930 WFMD. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. Uh, as a podcast at iTunes, and also uh, you can, of course, download the uh, the free WFMD app for your smart device and uh, listen to the program anytime. If you're uh, new to the program, thanks so much for being with us. Welcome. Uh, if you've been with us for a while, thank you for that. And for some of you that uh, have been with us since uh, we started the program in 1997, thank you very much for uh, being part of uh, the program for such a long period of time. And um, I mentioned right before the break, we were going to be jumping into our interview this morning uh, with uh, my guest, Mr. Mark Morano. Um, he's been on before. It was about four or five years ago, joined us for Earth Day, gave us a lot of really good information and truth uh, as opposed to what was being spewed out there as far as uh, the climate and the earth and uh, the environment, etc. cetera. And um, on today, really exciting stuff to talk about. His new book, uh, Green Fraud, Why the Green New Deal is Even Worse Than You Think. Uh, rave reviews from Hannity, Mark Levine, um, Rush Limbaugh, etc. So uh, very happy to have Mark. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Chris. Happy to be here today. Thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot. So a uh, little bit of uh, background. Uh, Mark's former communications director for the Senate Environmental and Public Works Committee, he was a senior aide uh, to uh, Senator James Inhofe from Oklahoma, and now he's the executive editor and chief correspondent for ClimateDepot.com. And, uh, again, congratulations on the book, Mark. Uh, tell us, you know, a lot's happened in the past four or five years since you visited the program. Um, this whole climate thing has really gotten even more traction. Uh, it's uh, basically... 
having its water carried, uh, no pun intended, by the mainstream media and a lot of politicians. So what's happened since we last talked? Well, I, don't, I would say a lot of things, and not many of them good. Um, I guess the biggest thing that's happened is, well, first of all, President Trump's election polarized the media. And so what happened was it accelerated a bunch of trends to where MSNBC, uh, CNN, New York Times, even other, they just basically said, we will no longer, anyone who holds Donald Trump's views are no longer persona non grata. So they literally just blocked out all climate skeptics. You used to be able to get scientists on CNN, MSNBC, ABC News. I, mean, I had been on their shit, and they just don't do it anymore. They're actually, the CBS News former anchor Scott Pelley said, I won't interview a climate denier for the same reason I won't interview a Holocaust denier. You know, they've just labeled us. So what's happened is climate skeptics have been shut out. And, of course, that's continued with Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, uh, you name it. Now you have all the warnings and restrictions, and they you know, deplatform you, and they uh, you know, they put the algorithms in to bring your numbers. So the message is harder to get out. As a consequence, the other thing that's happened is Trump was fantastic on policy, the administration, but they turned down multiple opportunities to challenge the scientific claims. Only one cabinet member, his first EPA chief, Scott Pruitt, challenged the scientific claims you know, publicly. Every other cabinet member all accepted it, and Trump's administration did not had an opportunity to put two dozen prominent scientists to challenge for the first time at a government level the science of climate change. They did that did not happen. So what's happened is many Republicans on Capitol Hill are timid now. They'll argue the Green New Deal costs too much money. Climate change is a problem. We need another solution. Let's plant trees. Let's do solar and wind. Let's do carbon CO2 capture and storage, etc. So. I would say a lot of things have happened since we last talked, none of them good, <laughs> politically. But in terms of the earth, you know, I can go a lot, I can go into the science of what's happened separately. Yeah, do that. I mean, again, I mean, so if it's been four or five years, um, you know, well, so here's, I'll just give you my take real quick. Um, and I share this sure. with, uh, you know, our listening audience all the time. Um, I'm not a betting person, but I will take a thousand dollar bet from anybody that wants to agree with, you know, some of these politicians that say the uh, world's going to end because of climate yeah. issues in 8, 10, 13 years. Anybody, I don't care who you are, bet you $1,000, and, you know, we'll, we'll make it as legit as possible. Um, so that's where I stand. So, again, from the science part of it um, and what you've actually seen um, the last uh, handful of years, what's actually happened to the environment? Well, this is a great question. Now, first of all, multiple studies have shown that the Earth is greening, even in NASA studies since the 1970s. The deserts are shrinking. Agriculture is booming. Trees are booming. Carbon dioxide in the atmosphere is a boon to life. That's number one. Number two, nothing unusual has happened with the global temperature. They will tell you it's the hottest decade. We had the hottest year on record in 2016. And what they're doing is they're telling you within hundreds of a degree Fahrenheit, within the margin of error of other hottest years, they make adjustments that are bigger than these claimed temperature differences. And I go into that in the book in detail in Green Fraud. But what also has happened is a shocking development. Polar bears have disappeared, but not from the Arctic, but they've disappeared from Al Gore's films and movies. Since we last talked, Al Gore released his sequel and his, his movie and book, and there was no mention of polar bears. 
shockingly absent. He had made it the icon of his first film and book in 2006. Why were polar bears missing? Because polar bears now are at or near historic population highs, approaching 30,000 by latest count in 2020 in the Arctic. Never have they counted so much. They are not only not endangered, they are, they are booming. Never counted this many numbers. So that's point one, two. Point number, point number three is sea levels are not accelerating. Even the latest data shows even 80 years ago there's been no acceleration. Keep in mind, sea levels have been rising for 10,000 plus years since the end of the last ice age. The key is, is mankind accelerating it, and it's not happening. Now, it's happening in computer models. In other words, they can say it's worse than we thought for polar bears and sea level. Say, how is it worse than we thought? Well, our predictions of the year 2080 are now much worse than they were just five years ago. So when current reality fails to alarm, they make scarier and scarier predictions. But even beyond that, the evidence is in overwhelmingly on climate change. 99% uh, drop in death toll in the last 100 years from climate-related disasters for the human population. That is significant, and that is, like, unbelievable stat. On severe weather, floods, hurricanes, tornadoes, droughts, wildfires, um, there's either no trend or declining trend. And in my book, I cite United Nations scientific reports where they bury this data deep in it. They don't lead with this. So on the extreme weather front, now you can always find an unprecedented trend. For instance, California will say, you know, the last 12 years that the drought has been the worst. It's been. And they'll pick one small region of the globe and they'll get some cherry-picked decade or two and they try to claim some trend that if it continues. But when you look at things on climate timescales, 40 years, 50, 60 years, 80 years, and you look at them globally, not regionally, like the media and climate activists do, they don't have a case. And the United Nations government data back up, um, the, back up the fact that they don't have a case. And I cite peer-reviewed literature in my book as well on this stuff. Uh, speaking this morning with our guest, Mr. Mark Morano. He's the former communications director for the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee. He was also a senior aide to Senator James Inhofe uh, from Oklahoma. He is the executive editor and chief correspondent for ClimateDepot.com. And that's where you can go, folks, to learn more about uh, the discussion this morning. Go to ClimateDepot.com. Uh, there's a lot of really good free information there uh, that you can educate yourself on. And also uh, check out his new book, Green Fraud, Why the Green New Deal is Even Worse Than You Think. And based on everything that you said a moment ago, uh, Mark, it begs the question, why can't we get a debate? Well, it's, it's like, you know, it's like COVID is an example. Regardless, you know, a COVID-19 obviously is a real virus, but it's how you want to react to it. Now, we've had Nobel Prize winning uh, epidemiologists, Stanford University, come out against lockdowns as an example. And I talk about this in the book, the COVID climate connection, but here's the example. If they speak out against it, they're deplatformed. Their YouTube videos have been banned and pulled because they're not supporting lockdowns or mandates, or COVID mandates that governments impose. They get uninvited. I show what epidemiologists are uninvited from a scientific conference because of his views on lockdowns. You get defunded. You get threatened. There was an art study in the New England Journal of Medicine that came out in, I guess it was late March or early April of 2020, right, right when this stuff was ramping up, and it said masks basically are nothing but a feel-good measure. Studies are something to do nothing. Within two months, the authors of that study had to issue a clarification saying, oh, of course we didn't really mean what we said here, and they had to backtrack. Why? Because if they're not on the right narrative, 
their career is over. So what I mean is the reason scientists can't speak out and the reason is not is because they are they are crushed with career threatening uh, incidences and pressure. And if you go along, you're left alone. And, you, and if you go along with the narrative, so we had a doctor in California who said he didn't do COVID mandates at his office, and within on TV he announced this. And then a couple of days later, the uh, California Medical Board shut his office down just because he wasn't following, you know, because he had verbally said he was against it and wasn't following it. So it's a cycle of intimidation, and that's happened in the climate debate. I, and uh, I, I detail that in the book, the the, the, the threatening of, uh, of journal editors for not, you know, go, for publishing articles that are against the United Nations climate doom narrative, uh, defunding universities, getting rid of scientists. And if you go along, you get to go to lavish conferences, make money. But it's also not, it's not just about making money. It's about not ruining your career, not what's the, what's the upside for standing up against all this. You're, you're basically, that's why we have all these emeritus professors are typically the ones who speak out against the climate change uh, fears. Right, because they're in some type of a safe position. So um, what we're going to do is take a quick break. When we come back, we'll wrap up our conversation with our guest this morning, Mr. Mark Morano, uh, talk a little bit more about his new book, Green Fraud. And really, again, what's the what's the big push for this? It's, is it really the environment, or can Mark tell us what it's really about? This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And, of course, uh, you can listen to the program as a podcast on iTunes. Just go to uh, uh, iTunes and download your financial editor, and you can get this uh, segment and this interview uh, or previous interviews uh, and shows as well. Uh, we're wrapping up our conversation with my guest this morning, Mr. Mark Morano, who is a former communications director for the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee, senior aide to uh, U.S. Senator James Inhofe. And right now he's the executive editor and chief correspondent for ClimateDepot.com. So, uh, Mark, in the few minutes we have, what's really behind this push, especially now that we're seeing all this corruption and uh, this uh, government spending and what they're trying to force and engineer? Well, and as I detail in the book, the fraud comes in is that they will freely admit, and the United Nations admits, the architects of the Green New Deal, but this has very little to do with climate and the environment. The architects of the Green New Deal, as I detail in my book, admit it is not a change of the climate thing, it's a change of the whole economy thing. The UN admits that they will redistribute wealth by climate policy. They will seek what's called global governance, the idea of you lose individual sovereignty. They talk about how this is not even environment policy anymore, this is economic policy and as they seek a centralized transformation to make our lives different. So when it comes to the Green New Deal, if you look at it, it's dealing with free college education, environmental justice, you know, uh, women's rights, 
Uh, it goes on, uh, on on a whole slew of issues that have nothing to do with climate. It's societal change. And what they're doing is they're packaging it under the guise of a climate emergency. So we only have 12 years, 10 years. We must act now. It's going to be too late. And therefore, you don't, have to, you don't get to debate the merits because you're rushed. You're forced into it. Again, I link it back to COVID. Think back if we could have had a rational debate on lockdowns instead of just total fear. And this is one of the reasons the climate activists love the lockdowns, because they were jealous of them at first, and now they know how to use them. If they can gin up fear, they can impose things like the Green New Deal, which even if we face the climate catastrophe, which we don't, would have zero impact, not only on the climate, but on global emissions. And this is admitted by John Kerry. This is admitted even by the United Nations that there'd be no impact measurable, even if you believe their science. And you shouldn't believe their science. But so that's one of the biggest things of fraud. And what it would do energy-wise, it would take away our energy independence and dominance, which we achieved for the first time since Harry Truman was president in 2009. Under President Trump, we achieved it in 2019. And all it's going to do is make us rely on Middle Eastern oil again, back to, to, to fighting for wars over oil. And it's going to make us rely on Chinese uh, rare earth mining that's happening in Africa with atrocious environmental and human rights records. This is what we're facing and we don't have time to debate it because we face a climate emergency, allegedly. Yeah, right. Uh, exactly. It's the, the Trojan horse for sure. Uh, my guest this morning has been Mr. Mark Morano, uh, former communications director for the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee and a senior aide to uh, United States Senator James Inhofe. Go to climatedepot.com. You'll get a lot of great information. Look at his past work. Also, his new book that just came out on the 23rd of March is available, Green Fraud, Why the Green New Deal is Even Worse Than You Think. And you can educate yourself and see the other side to this argument that, unfortunately, no one else is uh, telling you because they're, they'll be shamed or whatever. I mean, of course, we're going to tell you because we don't care about those people, and uh, we're going to continue to fight the good fight and get the uh, other side of the stories out there. Mark, thank you very much for your time. I know you're extremely busy. It was great catching up with you again, and I wish you all the best with your new book. Thank you so much, Chris. Appreciate it. Thank okay, you. Okay, great. Enjoy the rest of the weekend, and uh, that goes for everybody. I'd love to talk to Mark more because there's so much in the book and uh, about the subject matter that we all really need to know about uh, so that we are informed and educated and uh, aware of what's really going on. Um, but uh, perhaps we'll, uh, we won't wait another four or five years. We'll get Mark back on when his schedule permits it, and uh, we can uh, uh, have another conversation, and he can share more with you. Uh, that does it for us. We're, we're out of time. Uh, so I want to thank everybody for listening uh, and just uh, wish you a blessed Easter. I hope you really enjoy the weekend and, uh, you know, for yourself and with your family and your loved ones. And I'll speak with you on the Morning News Express with Bob Miller and Ryan Hendrick. And uh, that's 550, 650, live updates, as you'll know for sure, because you heard my chocolate Labrador uh, barking uh, a couple days ago when I was talking to the guys. Um, and uh, also, we'll be back here next Saturday for you with a brand-new program. So uh, enjoy the weekend. As I said, happy Easter. This is Chris Murray wishing you and your family financial success.
when America's fixing to fall. But speaking just for me, and some people from Tennessee, we've got a thing or two to tell you all. This lady may have stumbled, but she ain't never failed. And if the Russians don't believe that, they can all go straight to hell. We're gonna put her feet back on the path of righteousness and then, God bless America again. Past editions of this program are available in the audio vault at WFMD.com. News Radio 930. WFMD Frederick. A connoisseur media radio station. 7 o'clock.